All right, good morning. Uh, as Brian said earlier, my name is Sam Eldersveld. I'm the pastor of student ministries here at Fifth. And if you don't know this, I'm a son of the church as well. So I grew up in this church and it's such a, a privilege to be able to come back here and work here and uh, to give you a, a lens into the life of a student ministries pastor. Uh, this morning I get to preach the word of the Lord. It's a privilege to be able to do that. Uh, two weeks ago, I was riding on a roller coaster 93 miles an hour uh, at Cedar Point in Ohio. So uh, it's, it's a privilege to be able to walk with students. Uh, I'm also thankful that the Lord heals after experiences like that. Um, yeah, it's, it's really good to be here. Um, we have just finished a sermon series uh, entitled Visions of God. We were privileged to hear from Dave Bass over the last six weeks. Dave is a retired pastor, member of this church. Uh, he, he taught three different texts from the Old Testament, three different texts from the New Testament. Uh, today starts a new sermon series uh, all about First and Second Corinthians in which Paul gives images from God as to who the church is, as to what we're called to be doing. It's, it's titled, What We Are, and Paul names specific images throughout First and Second Corinthians that we'll go to uh, and these, these titles of the sermon series are actually based off of Dave Bass' book that he wrote on First and Second Corinthians. So Dave is, is literally a gift that just keeps on giving. So th thank you, Dave. Appreciate that. So the author of First and Second Corinthians is Paul. Paul was an apostle, and he has a deep connection to this church. Uh, he doesn't just say things at them. He knows these people. He helped plant this church. He knows exactly who he was speaking to. He ended up starting this church, church in Corinth, which is in modern-day Greece, and uh, this, this happened on his second missionary journey. And starting in this, uh, starting this church in Corinth, didn't look like him just traveling to Corinth, preaching them the gospel, telling them that Jesus is alive, Jesus is Lord, and then leaving. Paul spent a year and a half with these people. He, he taught them the scriptures. He taught them all he knew about Jesus. And he showed them the life of a disciple. He didn't just say things at them and leave. He walked with them deeply. So this is helpful for me to remember. Uh, sometimes I get frustrated when, when people who I know in my life who are not followers of Jesus, I, I want them to follow Jesus after saying or having one conversation faith-related to them. I expect that they're going to give their lives to Jesus in one moment. But yet, here we have Paul, probably the greatest evangelist God has ever created, spending a year and a half with these people. And we also look at the life of Jesus. Jesus spent three years with the disciples. So it takes a while, but it is worth it. So because of Paul's slow walk with the Corinthians, he, he is family with these people he doesn't have kids of his own, so he probably thinks of some of these people as his own spiritual family. And with families, there's encouragement, there's guidance, there's correction. Paul loves these people, and because of his love, he reminds them of the core of their faith. And he reminds them that they need to turn from their old selves and follow Jesus towards a new path. So with that, I'm going to invite Becky up to hear the word of the Lord. The reading comes from 1 Corinthians 1, 17 through 31. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, 
not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who have been saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent will I frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise humans by human standards and not many were influential. Not many were of normal, nor, noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, our holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Thank you, Becky. So through this text, did you notice that following Jesus is different than following the ways of the world? In the church of Corinth, modern day Greece, there are Jews and there are Gentiles. Most likely there's more Gentiles, so people that didn't grow up in the faith, than Jewish people. Both of these groups are loved by God, but yet both of these groups have their flaws. The Jewish people are demanding for signs. The Greeks are looking for wisdom. And thankfully, Jesus doesn't just go with the flow of the world around him. He gets our attention through flipping things upside down. So while a person may be living in the Jewish culture, the Jewish context, they would be demanding a savior that looks like somebody riding on a horse, leading the Jewish people into battle, destroying the Romans by killing them and, and taking power over the Roman people. While people are demanding that, Jesus hangs on a cross. And you might be in the, in the Greek part of culture at this time. So while, while somebody is selfishly boasting about themselves speaking eloquently with human wisdom that leads to nowhere, Jesus hangs on a cross. The way of Jesus is different. The way of Jesus is better. And I love the way that, that God uses our past to influence those around us. So if you look at the life of Paul, Paul is a unique character. Uh, he has an unbelievable encounter with Jesus uh, through God speaking to him, through God 
shining, a, a, a bright light on him. He was blind for a few days and he heard the voice of the Lord and um, he was made new through the Holy Spirit. So he's got that going for him. That's the uh, most essential thing um, if somebody's trying to start a church, being a believer in Jesus Christ. But Paul was also culturally and religiously Jewish for a time. He grew up in the Jewish faith. He read the Old Testament scriptures. Most likely he knew most of the Old Testament by heart. He grew up going to synagogue and practicing Sabbath on a weekly basis. So he had a background that gave him the ability to speak directly to Jewish people because he knew their language. He knew these folks very, very well. It's where he came from. And not only was Paul Jewish, but Paul was also a Roman citizen as well. So he could travel throughout the whole Roman Empire with no hesitations. He had protection because he could show that he was a citizen. He was able to be protected because of that. And because of this, Paul was able to speak directly to the Gentiles, those that didn't grow up in the Jewish faith, because they shared Roman citizenship together. So here we have Paul, a Jewish man converted to Christianity through a miraculous experience, a citizen of the Roman Empire, and he's a church planter, planting a church in the midst of Jews and Gentiles in the church of Corinth. So that sounds like a perfect combination, but that didn't happen just by chance. In verse 23, Paul says, the Jews demand signs, the Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. So this is what the early church was battling against. The life that we live now is, is not much different than this, to be honest. Because the world was looking for signs and demanding human wisdom, they didn't have the ability to recognize Jesus when he was right in their midst. So there's demanding signs, there's looking for wisdom, and then there's the cross. These are not the same thing. The cross is totally different. If you're like me, you can find yourself in the midst of all three of these areas very easily. But Paul makes it clear that we as Christ's church are people that believe in the crucifixion. We believe in the one that died for us. And we are called to live like him. So why could demanding signs not be the way of Jesus? Demanding signs in general, it's, it's not a bad thing. Wanting to see more of the Lord through miraculous things is a beautiful thing. You want to know more of who God is? You know God has unbelievable ability to do things far greater than we can ever imagine. And we, and we can know more of God through things like that. Moses asks to see God's glory in Exodus 33 and 34, and God shows him his goodness in an unbelievable way. Jesus showed up after the resurrection to a meeting with his disciples, and he showed them the scars on his body. He showed them his resurrected body. Signs from the Lord, they're wonderful, but yet we should not be relying on them for the core of our faith. And we know of, of God's marvelous acts in the Old Testament. We know of Jesus' miracles in the New Testament. Yet is God only proven to be real and full of love through these marvelous acts? Jesus could have fed 5,000 every single day if he wanted. He could have seen the hungry and given them bread every single day, but he didn't. He could have healed every single person that he encountered in this world. He saw brokenness. He saw people that were sick, but yet he didn't heal every person that he came across. 
Jesus came into the world to die for humankind on the cross. That is where God's heart is fully revealed and that is where our faith is founded. Not in a marvelous act like sending fire down from heaven, like sometimes we ask for. And I've asked personally Jesus for, for Jesus to appear right next to me. I, I want to know who he is. I want to see his face. I want for him to declare who he says he is in scripture. And I'm sure many of us in this room have asked for the same thing. So that would be what we consider to be a marvelous act. That's something only God can do, just appear out of nowhere and, and say hello. But doesn't God show up in other ways? What about the fact that your heart is beating right now? What about the fact that God in scripture breathed life into us? Every single breath that we have, every next day that we have is a gift from the Lord. It's a sign that God is real. And if you're like me, every, uh, every spring when the cold air goes away, hopefully for a long time, and you see new life sprout up from the ground, and you see so much beauty, isn't that a sign that God is here, that God is real? What about when you're speaking with another believer, somebody else who believes in Jesus, and they speak truth directly to you, that words that you needed to hear that you feel like came directly from the Lord? Almost like it's a message from God. Many times we ask God to do unbelievable things for us because we think it will improve our faith. Our faith needs to be dependent on things that we see or experience. Yet we, we miss what's right in front of us. And we miss these signs because we ask for God to show himself in our lives. We, we say, God, why aren't you here in front of me? But yet we're, we're scrolling through our phones for hours on end. And when we have moments of free time, when there's peace and quiet, we, we like to fill our, our minds with other people singing or other people sharing their thoughts and ideas. Meanwhile, we say, God, where are you right now? Or sometimes we, we end the day, or maybe this is every day, we, we end the day by looking at a screen and we, we don't say, God, where were you today? We say, God, where are you? But yet, are we actually paying attention to what he's doing? If we want to see signs from God, he will show that to us, and we also have to pay attention to it as well. Signs from God can be very beneficial to our faith, yet we can't rely on them solely. Jesus himself says, you believe because you have seen, but blessed are those who believe in me without seeing. And also remember, if, if you're familiar with, with scripture, you know that people that, that, that see Jesus' signs don't always believe. One sign was never enough for certain people. They wanted more to fully prove that Jesus was the Son of God. If, if, they, if he showed one miraculous sign, they still wanted more. They still need more proof. For instance, in Mark 8, Jesus feeds 4,000 people out of a few loaves of bread, a few fish. Right after that, the Pharisees continue to question him and they keep demanding for a sign as if feeding 4,000 people out of nothing wasn't a sign already. So seeing is not always believing. The Jews demanded signs and the Greeks looked for wisdom. And again, similar to, to Jews demanding signs, looking for wisdom is not a, a bad thing at all. Wisdom is, is really, really good. And in scripture, we have King Solomon asking for wisdom. God gives him a blank slate, says, what do you desire, King Solomon? Solomon asks for wisdom. 
And God is so pleased with that that he gives him honor and wealth on top of that. So wisdom is not a bad thing. What was unhealthy about the Greek context is that the Greeks were searching for wisdom and that was the end goal. The end goal was intellectual capital, to to know everything, to sound right, to be able to argue with reason against somebody else. Intellectual capital was the top prize in the culture, excuse me, among the Greeks, and you would prove that through speaking well in front of other people. So when Paul visited Athens, we talked about this passage a while back in Acts 17, it's quoted that all the Athenians and foreigners did nothing except talking and listening about the latest and greatest ideas. How often do we as the church talk about Jesus? We complain about the state of the world. There's so many things that are going wrong, yet we don't do anything about it. Talk can be cheap, and especially when it doesn't result in Christ-like behavior. And also wisdom for these Greeks, it was a divine experience for them. They lived in a world where they believed that wisdom and reason were far better than anything you do in your body. Being a wise person was far better than serving others the way that Christ served. And for Greeks, wisdom was in the world, but also transcended to the gods that they served. The search for wisdom was a way for them to connect with with all the, the multiple gods that they served. And you could consider these gatherings with philosophers, with teachers all in the same room, teaching about the latest and greatest ideas. That could be considered a spiritual discipline because they were connecting with the gods uh, of, the, of their religion. And there's a Greek word for divine reason or wisdom, and that word is logos, L-O-G-O-S. Logos was essentially all of the wisdom of the gods that they served combined together. And it was a spiritual presence for the Greeks, and the connection to logos was wisdom, was eloquent speech through speaking well in front of other people. And for new Gentile converts to Christianity, excuse me, following Jesus, one God coming to the world in the flesh was radically different than anything they had ever known. They were coming from a world of multiple gods believed and believed heavily uh, in God's only existing through a spiritual presence. Physical presence and God did not make sense for Greeks. Nothing they did in the body also connected them with God. Gaining wisdom in their minds connected them with God. So when you read John 1, when John claims that the word became flesh, he's saying Lagos became flesh. This spiritual God that you were talking about, he actually came to earth in the form of Jesus Christ. That is what John is saying in John 1. So John turned the world of the Greeks upside down by making this claim about about God, that God came to earth in a physical form. We can see him. The way of Jesus is different and the way of Jesus is better. You may have noticed that in verse 30, Paul states that Jesus himself has become wisdom. He has personified wisdom. Everything that he is, everything that he does is wisdom. And Jesus is the source of wisdom, not our own human thoughts, even though we we tend to think we can be very smart. We're not that smart compared to God. I'm sorry to say that. Our own thoughts can only take us so far. So if we want to be wise people, not only should we think like Jesus, but we should act like him as well. That is what wisdom is. 
It's not just intellectual ability, but the ability to be like Christ in our lives. You can know all the facts in the world. You can know every different theory out there. But if you don't live like Jesus did, are you really a wise person? Truly wise people speak like Christ and their lives back it up. And as the Lord's people, we can't be swayed by the wind with those that speak well in front of others, yet don't show the love of Jesus. In our culture today, it's, it's easy just to listen to people that speak well, but yet if you look at their lives, if they're not showing the love of Jesus, if they're just talking, is it really worth listening to these people? So we've talked about the cross being the epicenter of our faith, the core of our faith. We've talked about Jesus personifying wisdom. And this passage also says that Jesus is the power of God. Power is a really strong word. So what do you think of when you think of power? I think of strength, I think of, of dominance. When I think of worldly power, I think of the ability to change through force. I think of changing systems, changing people through, through physical uh, dominance. I think of dynamics within relationships. I'm sure all of us have been in the midst of conversations when you feel like the weak one in the conversation, that person who has more power over you uh, can make you feel like nothing, right? Also within worldly power is, is taking advantage of the vulnerable, which our world has done since the beginning of time. People in power take what the powerless have and keep it for themselves. God has all the power in the world. He's able to do what he wants when he wants. He doesn't need our approval for anything. In fact, he doesn't even need us, but he chose us because he wants to experience true love, his creation loving him back. So God has all this power, but look at what he does in verses 26 through 28. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. So God chose the foolish, the weak, and the lowly. And not only does God choose these people and say, you are welcome in my family, but, but God through Jesus Christ, he became one of these people. I want you to think about Jesus on the cross for a moment. He was considered foolish, weak, and lowly. The Roman soldiers, as Jesus is nailed to the cross, put a sign on top of the cross that said, King of the Jews. Of course, they were being sarcastic. No king would ever be crucified on a cross. They laughed at Jesus. They said, if you can save others, why don't you save yourself? A king dying on the cross was foolishness to these people. Jesus was also weak on the cross. He was weak physically, emotionally, spiritually. He became obedient to death. He weakened himself so that people could kill him. He was obedient to death. He felt abandoned even by God the Father. And Jesus was a lowly person from the day he had his first breath in this world. Nathaniel, some of us know this passage, Nathaniel said, what good can come from Nazareth when he heard that Jesus was from Nazareth? 
So even Jewish people, people within Jesus' community and family, didn't respect where he came from. And also kings did not die on crosses back then. Kings were not crucified. Crucifixions were for criminals. Crucifixions were for non-Roman citizens. And Jesus died in between two no-name criminals, and he even invited one of them into paradise with him. So if that's who Jesus is, if that's who Jesus calls the lowly, the weak, and the foolish, what are we doing as Fifth Church to be around these folks? What are we doing to invite folks like this that are experiencing this into a beautiful family? And, and many of us could be themselves thinking, thinking about themselves in this category, lowly, weak, and foolish. Know that you are chosen, God loves you, you are in God's family. And, and the church itself needs to learn from you since God seeks you out. And there are many, many times that God shows love to the vulnerable. So know that you are not forgotten. I also want to talk about uh, verse 29. Verse 29 is uh, really helpful as if we weren't humbled at this point from this passage. Verse 29 says this, so that no one may boast before him. We literally have nothing to boast about. As God's people, if we believe in scripture, we believe that everything good comes from God above. And if we're, if we're boasting about bad things, that's another conversation. But we cannot boast about ourselves thinking that we are the ones to produce a good life. It is God who gives us that ability. It is God who gives us life. We can't take credit for our jobs, our grades, our good relationships, the things that we have, the food on the table, yet we live in a culture in which it's accepted just to boast about ourselves all of the time. We want people to see us, see what we are doing, and we don't give God the glory. So when you share about these things, you can be proud, but remember who is the one to give you all of these good things in your life. Remember the one who gave you the ability to do great things. We can talk about our accomplishments. We can talk about our good relationships. And that's even more reason to, to talk about what Jesus has given you, what God has given you. Be thankful, but don't forget about the one who has given you these things. I want to end our time with this. So it's clear that Paul mentions the cross as the center of our faith. We cannot believe in Jesus without believing in what he did on the cross. And that's what makes Jesus different than anything in the world. No king would lay down his life for all humankind. Jesus became obedient even to death on the cross so that we could be saved from our sins. And somehow in some mysterious way, our sins were nailed with Jesus to the cross, our past sins, our present sins, our future sins. But that's not where it ends. That also means that as Jesus was raised to life, so are all the people who believe in him. Romans 6, 5 says this, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. Not only do we preach Christ crucified, but we preach Christ resurrected and all those that believe in Christ have new life. All those that believe in Christ have the ability to see the world in a totally new way and are welcome in God's family. The people once considered lowly, weak, and foolish 
through faith in Jesus, have new life, have a new identity as children of God, and that identity can never be changed. Friends, the gospel will always be thought of as foolishness as long as there is sin in the world. Yet, should that stop us from boasting in the Lord? As long as there is breath in our lungs, we have the ability to boast about Jesus. And God has given the church the ability to shine a light in the midst of darkness, to go against the grain of society, to show God's love to a world that desperately needs it. So let's go live in a way that shows our old self has been crucified. And it is no longer we who live, but it is Christ who lives in us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Friends, would you pray with me? God, we love you. We thank you for all that you've done that centers around your work on the cross. We thank you for freedom this day just through faith in you and help us be people uh, that show that you're real through the lives that we live. Uh, take over our hearts and lead the way. We pray these things in your name. Amen.